Hi, wherever you're listening to this, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Tech Conversations, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs, and investors. I'm Hari Arakli, and today I bring you the first of what I hope will be many conversations this year with deep tech founders. In this episode of Deep Tech India, the first of this new season, GS Madhusudan, co-founder and CEO of Incore Semiconductors, gives us a sense of how we missed the bus on the semiconductor opportunity decades ago. He also talks about how we have the opportunity today and most of the ingredients to build our own semiconductor ecosystem that could supply the world with made in India chips, starting with chips for embedded applications. Look, I, I've been doing this for 45 years now. I started working on processors and related stuff out of like high school since 1985, second year in college rather. Actually, no, since I was 14. So, yeah, so I've been doing this for 44 years now. Yeah, actually, that's a good place to start also. You can give us a snapshot of your journey from, like you said, from being a 14-year-old enthusiast about semiconductors to now a Dawn Plus entrepreneur. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So I come from a family of engineers. I'm actually the 15th person in my family to get a bachelor's in engineering. There are 14 people before me who already had an engineering degree. And I think another 50 people have got it by now. The last time I checked, there are between 60 to 80 people <laughs> with a degree in engineering and more. Um, back then, even quite a few had uh, electronics and computer science degrees. And, uh, and I'm a third generation engineer. I mean, grandfather, engineer, dad was an engineer, I'm an engineer, right? So we, we're, a, we're a family of engineers. So career in engineering is almost a given if you're of the curious type, right? Because you, you had all the infra people told about you. you you're brought up in an engineering culture. You wake up in the morning and the pump doesn't work. Your grandpa will chase you to the hardware store, get an O-ring seal, replace it. Right? And uh, that's how that gets done. So that's not a a problem. So then my interest was fundamentally in uh, I think in aeronautical engineering and uh, electronics. Aeronautical is kind of tough to come by. Electronics is more of an interest. So that interest started sometime I think in my about ninth standard or so. And I had a couple of cousins guide me saying, hey, this is what you can do, this is fun and all that, right? So it it was a natural uh, progression. What got you interested in aeronautics as well as electronics? What fascinated you? I I can't tell you because that fascination started when I was like five years old. So as far as I can remember, uh, even before first standard, I, I, I still remember collecting books on planes and trains back when I was five. This is in Upper KG. I distinctly remember those books as five. (laughs) I'm in my late 50s now. Those those books still are a very, very distinct memory. Don't ask me why. I had books on trains and ships and planes and cars. There was a a nice series back then, picture books. Planes fascinated me the most. I, I, I don't ask why. It is a lack of opportunity in aeronautics. Otherwise, I would have kind of gone there. But then electronics fascinated me uh, more as I grew older because, see, I'm a hands-on guy. I like to build stuff with my hands. So I've always been a hobbyist. And electronics allows you to be a hobbyist. Back then, you couldn't build drones and all of that, right? But electronics, you can go to the local part shop and get all that. So Tell me more about uh, I mean, the, your engineering degree, research interests. Where did it all take you? Yeah, so, so interestingly, so when I got into bachelor's at PhD Tech, my interest was actually to build processors. Uh-huh. So I was trying to 
build very primitive 8 bit processors back then <clears throat> that interest has stayed whatever i did at 17 is exactly what i'm doing in my late 50s so my career always has been just in one area i never strayed it has always been processors and the software that runs very close to the processors we call it system software right operating systems uh, embedded software and all of that so my entire career starting from my first year in college has always been in that area so for close to 40 years i've not changed my field at all it's a it's a, a, a the, the fascination is very simple it, it's a very uh, operating systems and processors are very complex systems and they're not places where you make a lot of money out of it very frankly uh, building making a processor company profitable or making an operating system company profitable is not easy because to get a processor family out or an operating system out is a 10 year process right to build a os from scratch will take you 10 years to do a proto then you launch it and all that and it will be 15 years before you start seeing money processor similarly actually iit started research in processors in 2007 i came on board in 2012 Uh, we did further work uh, till 2018 which when incor got floated so any of these areas you need to put in 10 years before you even see the light of the day so it takes a certain mindset perseverance and patience to build these systems it's not for the faint of heart it also requires you to have an extraordinary breadth of knowledge because complex systems i'll give you a science fiction example uh, i don't know if you're a sci-fi fan or not but if you look at the job of the engineer on the enterprise right it's fiction but you have everything from state of the art propulsion systems to life support systems to freaky weapon systems to ai to replicators and all of that so so my interest uh, so you're asking so for me aeronautical and electronics are all part of the same spectrum they're all complex systems they're not something that you master in a day or two they all take a lifetime to master so they're all areas where you will never get bored it's like a lifetime of learning and even if you spend 50 years learning you you would have just scratched so if 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 you have a curious mind that has a constant thirst for knowledge and wants to constantly learn and not be satisfied you get into systems design any complex systems transportation systems aeronautical systems electronics they all fall into the same complex thing and, and they all defy easy categorization you, you can't just like spec them out a lot of the behavior is statistical right so it, it's a it's like archaeology you keep digging you can keep excavating you can keep finding out but you, you'll only scratch the tip of the iceberg so you guarantee not to get bored in these fields so if you have a mindset that constantly wants to explore build very complex systems then you become a processor designer operating system designer aeronautical engineer space systems whatever building ships before you came to iit did you spend some years in the us elsewhere other research schools yeah i worked for a couple of years at hcl again building helping build very complex computers hcl actually had a 4 cpu box even back in 88 then i shifted to the us to work at cybase why hcl was there for close to 10 years then shifted to singapore to run a bunch of startups 2010 i came to india to actually create india's first mobile phone company mm-hmm. we actually designed our own mobile phones that is hardware software everything is homegrown and as expected it went bankrupt because <laughs> there, there there is no way any indian mobile phone company wanted an indian designed phone right they would rather go to china pick up existing model change the label uh, we knew that this company was almost set up for failure but we had to try what is your company called that is called examer communications okay we we got a deal from one of the major uh, oems uh-huh. i can't i i still might be under nda so want to be careful they actually wanted to launch a phone to compete with the apple 
iPhone back then. Uh-huh. So 2010, we were designing a, from scratch, mind you, a four CPU uh, phone with about four GB of RAM and OLED display even back then with very high end features. Uh, we designed everything, the plastics, the hardware, uh, porting of Android, all of that. Uh, the design was complete. The plastics are complete. Then the company basically decided to get rid of the mobile phone market. And so that was a lead customer. They left us holding their bag for about $75,000. And then we said, there's only so much I can do and we close shop. Uh, once I closed shop, I basically joined uh, IIT. So IIT said, hey, why don't you come help us kickstart a processor research project? So I said, okay. It's a continuation of what I was doing. So IIT, we, we didn't just do Shakti, the research project. I also did a storage research project. I did a banking analytics uh, open source uh, project, which is still live, by the way. I did some work on breast cancer research on infrared stuff. So you're one of the um, founding fathers of the Shakti program. Um, can you walk me through how that happened? What was the thinking behind that program? Yeah, so Professor Kamakoti and I started it. Uh, there's actually no, uh, the government had a broad uh, India semiconductor mission. So we suggested we can do processes. IIT was already doing research in processes, by the way, since 2007. So it's not as if I started that research effort. Professor Kamakoti is a, is a processor person. He's been doing that for donkey's years. So uh, my task was to uh, create a more uh, pragmatic effort. So the Shakti project had two goals. Uh, one goal was to uh, create research expertise and create talent in the country. Because while there was a lot of processor research going at a theoretical and part practical, there was no concrete project to generate open source processors. See, ultimately in systems, whether it be operating systems, processors, you need to build prototypes. It's an applied field, right? You can create any kind of theory you want, but something like a Microsoft Windows is bringing together hundreds of theories and practices into a practical system. So this goes back to what I was telling, right? Building complex systems is an art and a science. Not too many people do it. So the goal at IIT was to create the systems expertise, which we did. We also created a few open source processes as a proof of concept, one of which was taped out along with Intel. Once the program had made success and we realized that we had enough people and we had enough expertise built up, uh, Incore was floated in uh, 2018 by three members of the uh, Shakti team and one person from uh, Intel, uh, Gautam Doshi, who was collaborating with us. One thing, um, you know, and again, I think in general, I probably can speak for most of the media as well today in India. We we don't have a good sense of why we are where we are when it, when it comes to the semiconductor sector. I mean, can you give us a sort of a snapshot of, you know, historically... What are some of the areas where we stumbled and made mistakes because of which? Oh, I, I, I can tell you, I, I've been there in the journey right from the start. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a simple example. I think uh, the semiconductor complex uh, Chandigarh was started way, way back, 80s or earlier. So somewhere in the 70s, 80s, we were probably on par with Taiwan. If we had made investments in the 70s, we would be 70 to 80% of where Taiwan is today. Remember, TSMC, all of that was shepherded by the Taiwanese government. Uh, Philips, now NXP, had a significant stake in TSMC, 25% or so. So they received a lot of help. I mean, they, they built it gradually. I'm, I'm not taking any credit away from them. But they started from ground zero and built it up. We basically not to, we decided not to make those investments. Right? 
we had the uh, expertise okay so a lot of things happened in the 80s that people probably don't know about i can speak for hcl because i'm an ex hcl person so back in the late 70s early 80s hcl created its own processor using a technique called bit slice you don't do the physical processor you actually buy chips you put it together so each is a four bit anyway so hcl created its own instruction set architecture and cre- wrote its own operating system from scratch that machine was called alpha uh, it it was gone by the time i came so when i came the first year 87 in hcl i still remember the last copies of that operating system which is probably india's first homegrown operating system was being given to the kabadiwala the source code for the operating system that was written in india completely homegrown nobody thought to create a, a museum and keep it i hope hcl got a copy somewhere <laughs> i would actually like to do a museum of computers created in india because we have a lot of history so after that hcl actually created a quad cpu box called magnum which is one of the first in the world it was one of the first four cpu unix boxes in the world we were on par or probably even slightly ahead of sun microsystems and hp all this in 88 then hp did a joint venture with uh, hp it's called hcl hp so a lot of the hcl team was actually involved in defining the hp isa right so we had processor designers we could design our own computers we could write our own operating systems we could do our own compilers all of this is there in the 70s and 80s we were on par with most of silicon valley we could have done semiconductors at that point we chose not to do so we simply went the services route it's a, it's a, so india is where it is because of conscious choices we made not because we are backward we didn't have money all that is nonsense we chose not to have a high tech future right or wrong it's a decision that me not just hcl wipro had uh, kind of a simd kind of uh, computers uh, icl had so there are at least three to four companies doing uh, high end computing for that time they called mini computers back then so we had talent across four five companies not a problem and everything was homegrown the databases were homegrown we didn't use oracle back then oracle just had started coming but we had our own homegrown rdbms we had our own fortran compilers c compilers basic compilers cobol compilers everything we had fully desi i still remember 88 the us did an embargo of cray saha institute part of bark at uh, calcutta was doing research on tokamak reactors uh, fusion reactors i still remember there's a couple professors from princeton had come joined there bengali couple suddenly cray is not there they can do so the panic call went out and hcl was contacted so we had our four cpu boxes 25 megahertz per processor way slow back then we put four boxes together connected by a 1 megabit ethernet back then <laughs> it is not even 10 megabit and we wrote a fortran compiler that could take any program and split a program automatically into 16 threads it was an auto parallelizing fortran compiler so saha institute could continue with its uh, nuclear reactor simulation courtesy hcl because all of a sudden i i don't remember the political geopolitical event that triggered the embargo back then but hcl saved the day for the india fusion program then so we could do all of that all of that has gone away we're recreating it we will we'll get it back i'm not worried about that the fight and years will get back to where we were in the 80s and more and all that but we need to make sustained investments more than the investments i think we need a vision right we, we need to somebody needs to drive a stake in the ground and say okay by 2030 i need to get this done whatever be the cost that uh, that drive that 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 hunger for uh, technology progress i still don't see fully 
it has to be an all consuming passion you have to live breathe eat process a design or something it, 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 it's 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 not it's not a 9 to 5 job so with incore what's the i mean at this stage what's the idea what do you what have we been trying to do it's very simple we basically wanted to take shakti's success and go through a three step process first step was to make sure we have processes to cover the embedded market embedded means anything from 50 megahertz to 2 gigahertz embedded probably accounts for 60 70% of all the processes that you see because even the tiny little processor that is there in your bldc fan right or the little thing that goes into a mirror all of that right small 16 bit 32 bit type of processors all the way up to a low end feature phone a low end smartphone or a feature phone or something that goes into your router home router those are all broadly embedded class and probably some automotive devices we wanted to make sure india had complete strategic autonomy on processor ip in this range step 1 step 2 was low to mid end pc class mobile phone type processors step 3 was hpc supercomputers whatever time scale depending on what funding we get we have achieved goal number 1 we are almost 70 80% done we have two processor families that are already there shipping to customers uh, a higher end 1.5 gigahertz plus will come end of the year or so so by the end of 2024 uh, at least from a processor perspective we would have achieved goal number 1 and when we say processors we don't do the process we also do the fabric and all that right we provide the complete processing complex that goes into any systems now this is and we were also early adopters of the risfi standard iit madras is one of the founding members of the risfi consortium right so we are very well known in the world uh, especially neel gala our cto and co-founder is the i think the vice chair of the compliance group right so anybody who does risfi hears about neel and i've been around also right so unlike most indian tech startups we are almost 100% known in our community so that's an advantage we have and that's because of the effort we put in in helping create the risfi consortium right that is paid off otherwise what happens with a typical indian technology startup nobody knows about you i have close to 100% brand recall among any company that is dealing with risfi so when i go to a major semicon uh, customer in the us i don't have to explain who incore is they kind of know about us because we we've been there right from the start right so that is all the effort that we put in but what we realized in india was just providing the intellectual property is not sufficient because india does not have chip product companies like nvidia or amd or broadcom or nxp right so other than just doing the course we have what we call a chip odm strategy where not just us we have built a so one thing that is done in the embedded spaces we have built a complete ecosystem in india and recently we demonstrated in a conference where the chip is 100% indian which means all the intellectual property in the chip comes from india right so we have built an ecosystem where uh, at least in the embedded sector other than probably a graphics unit which gpus which we get from outside but hopefully next 5 years we'll have some local supplier uh, maybe including us uh, every other ip that goes into a typical embedded processor is available in india now so we are not subject to embargoes anything the design tools still come from outside the fab is still outside but osats are coming in india so the testing and packaging can be done in india so in the chip podium and this is very key this is a very key part of the strategy we are working with our partners which include hcl to solve 
to create reference designs for verticals like uh, electricity meter, IP camera, VLDC uh, motor controller. Designing complete parts as references so that Indian customers can then uh, work with the fab and place orders for those chips directly uh, from our partners. Uh, we are an IP supplier. We don't do the full chip. But we are creating reference parts along with the partners to kind of seed the market. Till somebody like NXP or somebody comes along and starts creating parts locally. So India is a step behind because we don't have fabulous any companies, right? I mean, there are one or two there, but not enough to give the kind of parts that we need. So we are encouraging our services partners to create reference products so that products can get accelerated. So instead of having a branded part, essentially uh, a fan manufacturer place an order on our partners on custom design chips without relying on a branded vendor to come in. That is getting traction. Uh, we're talking to people in the fan business. We're talking to people in the uh, IoT hub business. We're talking to people in the IP camera business, uh, metering business, smart cards. There are about six or seven verticals in India, which are very huge volume. Demand is there in India. We don't have a supply chain. It's not a technology problem. Everything, everybody thinks it's a technology problem. In the embedded especially, it's not a technology problem. All the technology is available in India. The people are available. The talent is available. That's not a problem. The problem is the supply chain. So we're actually solving a supply chain problems. So a lot of the tech industry problems are the non-technology problems. People think it's lack of technology. No, that's a load of nonsense. We've been designing chips for other people for donkey's years. We can do it for ourselves. We have two problems. We have a supply chain problem. We have a product marketing problem. Till now, what happens? Some guy from California would tell you, hey, this is the chip I want. And you design that. He may just give you high-level specs. Maybe even just like four bullet points, right? All the work is done in India. But to figure out what features will sell in the market is his call. He has that expertise. It is next to impossible to find a good VP of marketing in India, in the semiconductor sector. Because all the MNCs that have come here have been doing R&D and design and manufacturing. There are very few people there who can conceptualize the market and take a bet on saying this part will sell. I come from a product background, so we are able to make this call. So that's why we are advising our partners, say, you do these parts, it will sell in the market. So we, we are, so even though I'm an IP supplier and I'm not supposed to be doing all of this, we are actually talking to end customers, convincing them that they can build a chip in India. Because the first question they ask is, okay, I'm willing to buy an Indian chip. Who do I place a purchase order on? <laughs> What do I tell them? It, it is not enough if I have expertise, right? The expertise has to be brought into an ecosystem and there has to be an entity on whom you can place a PO. So basic stuff like that is missing. So we have built a group, jokingly like the Borg Collective, I call it the Incore Collective, <laughs> right? Which essentially brings together a product ecosystem. Work in progress, but you'll start seeing results uh, end of this year, early next year. So um, explain the, the supply chain problem a little bit more. I mean, my initial sort of understanding of what you're saying is you can give them sophisticated designs, but there's hardly anyone who can take that and make a chip. No, no, no. We can make a chip. Most of the chips are actually made out of here. So, uh, so, so okay, the chip chain is very simple. One chap gets a brainwave. I like this part I can create for an IoT hub. And he will say, okay, this requires this much of computing, requires so many features, and this is the kind of package I want in that. So this is the rough high-level product spec. 
This requires somebody who is creative, knows the market, and more importantly, is willing to take a gamble. Product specification is all about having faith in yourself. It is always a leap of faith. That is the genius of Steve Jobs and to some extent Elon Musk. It's not a technology vision. It's a product vision of thinking that this product can sell in the market. Right? So it is going against conventional wisdom often. <laughs> I think this product will succeed. I'm not going to listen to anybody. If you don't have that faith in yourself in defining a product, you'll never be a product company. This is lacking in India, which is what Incor is bringing to the table because we have that courage and faith in ourselves in defining products that will sell in the market. Even though I am not providing the market, being in the market, we can advise people on what products will sell based on our IP. So first is the product specification. Once you have the product specification, you go to somebody like Hetzeler to solve or any of the other design companies out there saying, build me a chip. India has got complete expertise to take just a one-page spec and deliver 10 million pieces a year. So you, you take that spec and you create a product design. It's called, so that is high-level design. Then you get the low design. Uh, then you convert that into a chip design, which is called the physical layout of the chip. You hand over that file to the foundry who will manufacture the chip, give you prototypes. You create a PCB to test that chip. You also do chip level testing of the wafer and all of that. And then you package the chip. You have to do, uh, you test the chip before packaging, you test the chip after packaging. And then you place a volume order on the foundry. You have to coordinate with the foundry to make sure you get yields in terms of, I mean, error rates and all that, right? Quality, defects. If there's a defect, you have to find out what had happened. So a lot of this is like hardcore engineering. All this expertise exists in India, especially in the embedded uh, thing at a Xeon level if you go there, there is some expertise lack in India but typically at chips uh, below 2 gigahertz uh, we have all the expertise to design and coordinate manufacturing all India lacks is people who are willing to put in money to conceptualize the product and build that product it is just money and courage that is missing and we don't have a branded company on whom you can place an order so our problem is only one of conviction and absence of product companies. We don't have a technology problem in this country. That is a myth. And when you say product, you're talking about all these different devices that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Could be a BLDC motor-based fan or, a, or an IoT no, they, device. They all have chips, right? I mean, just like um, the core i5 is a big chip for a PC. Hmm. Embedded chips typically sell between 50 cents to 6 $7. That's the range. Hmm. So my thesis is, if India gets this act right, in the sub, actually sub $10 category, we can capture anywhere between 15 to 25% of the world market. 15 to 25% of the world market. Of all the embedded chips sold in the world, one out of every four chip can come out of India. So designed in India, manufactured somewhere in Taiwan. Fabricated outside, but packaged in India. Once the fab comes in here, it's the entire supply chain is there. See, you should know something. If I take a $10 chip, the fab cost depending on how complex the chip is, is only between $1.5 to maybe $2.5. So on an average, 70 to 80% of the value of a chip lies outside what the fab delivers. That entire value chain can now be captured in India because we have OSATs also. So if today I can capture 80% of the value of a chip, why are we getting obsessed with fabs? You get that 80% first, right? No? See, to do all of this, somebody needs to sit down and take apart a chip and saying that, okay, to do a chip, I need all of this, right? Nobody does a technology audit to say, okay, I need 12 IP for this chip. Are all of these IPs available in India? 
I need to do this kind of packaging. Is it available in India? I need to do this kind of testing. Is it available in India? Right. So Incor has been doing that. It, it is not my job. Somebody else should have done it. Very frankly, but we were forced to create a complete chip ecosystem because Incor has literally created its own market. Because I have end customers who are willing to buy chips. I have the intellectual property that will go into the chip. That entire ecosystem in the middle was fragmented. Incor has brought together an ecosystem. And essentially, we will feed our intellectual property into the ecosystem so that it gets chips out to the customers. It's a gargantuan task. <laughs> and I've been at it for well, close to 10 years now. That's coming through. It's successful. So that ecosystem is built now. Not just because of me. I will take like about 2-3% of the credit. Companies have been doing it for ARM and all of that. But Indian companies now, and this is not common knowledge, are taking just a one-page spec from companies around the world. doing So the, 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 the spec is only a product requirement. It's not a design spec coming from a customer. A customer simply says, look, I want an IP camera chip with this and all that. Right? That's all he gives. He just gives a user input. Indian companies are successfully translating that into specifications, designing a chip, working with the foundry, and taking over supply chain responsibilities for that customer also. So they actually are now starting to sign deals with customer. The first 1 million chips we'll manufacture and give to you. And soon you will uh, you will start seeing Indian companies saying, okay, your, your entire manufacturing will coordinate for the next 10 years. The only thing that is missing is conceptualizing the product. And that is just a one to two page specification. But like I said, that is not a technical challenge. That is a leap of faith. That is having a feel for the market. So, so if you want to make India a semiconductor powerhouse, we actually need the IIMs to create more product managers. We don't need the IITs or the other engineering colleges to ramp up the effort. We actually need the IIMs to deliver. Okay. Uh, and in terms of where you go from here, are you looking at things like automation? Uh, we are the only private sector supplier of the core processor IP. CDAC is the other one, but in the private sector, we are the only one. Not that it is rocket science, but we put in a lot of effort. So it is not easy to recreate what we have done because, see, what Encore has done is uh, we just not created processor IP. We sell something called a core hub. So we sell the processor along with the fabric, which you connect the processor to the peripherals. We package it all together so that you don't have to start from scratch. We are working with our partners to create complete reference SOCs. And both in, so our processors are generated. We have what is called a processor generator. So we have kind of like a processor template and a customer comes to says, look, I want a processor with these features based on our basic ones with whatever variations they want. We can generate a processor in about two to three minutes. That's, that's all it takes. Complex one, probably a little more. We have a manual, right? And uh, we are slowly introducing AI into that process. So not only do we generate the processor, we also verify the processor uh, through, a, uh, uh, through a tool. So that the tool also generates the verification of the processor. And soon we are also building tools, which uh, we are building a tool that will generate the SOC. Then we are building a tool that will verify the SOC so that all this gets automated. So we are a firm believer in reduction of manpower. We, we don't want to grow by adding more and more manpower, right? So we're investing very heavily in AI-based tooling for automating the entire process of building and testing chips. It's very AI light now. I'm not making a hype saying we are AI based. 
we have started playing with chat gpt and a few other things and as we go you'll see significantly more ai tools machine learning tools automation tools i don't want to hype the ai thing too much right but we are also working with partners to introduce uh, automation in the physical layout of the chip itself currently the physical layout of the chip is a very manual task right we want to get human beings out of that process also over a longer time so literally from a spec to going to the fab i want to keep human beings as much out of the loop as possible can you imagine a future where somebody gives a spec and the process takes over generates a chip emails to the fab with just like two three human beings overseeing the process see currently from a spec to getting to the fab is a nine month process i would like to bring that down to three months a, a, a typical chip design at 40 nanometers including all ip if, if you take western costs is about 8 to 10 million dollars we would like to bring that down to 2 million we would like to see a 60 to 70% reduction in cost of the overall thing it, it's even higher if you take a mobile phone type chip at 3 nanometers and all that the figures that are bandied about is between 100 to 200 million dollars per chip so there is a huge scope so incore is just not about the processor we are creating an entirely new automated methodology of building chips using our processors and we have architected our processes in such a way that it is amenable to automation see you need to keep automation in mind when you design something you can't just design a processor and say i'll put it into a flow your processor design has to anticipate that it will be a not a human being but a machine that will be modifying that code so there's a lot of uh, philosophical thinking that has gone into our processor design which i am very certain uh, other than people like sci-fi who who are equally uh, good smart chaps from berkeley not too many people have thought through in this fashion because one of my key goals is to make sure as incore scales up i don't have to keep adding people to scale the company up so this is my standard advice to it services companies you got to figure out a model where you can have your manpower and double the salary for them so don't try to cut costs you should keep your salary bill constant but imagine a future for a services company if they can achieve the same thing with half the manpower but they double the salary for the people yeah i think now generative ai will probably and ai in general will force them to do something like that yeah very interesting and insightful and any quick last points sir as we begin to wrap up i keep telling people Uh, starting a processor company is one of the dumbest things you can do as a startup it's one of the toughest startups to pull like i can think of n number of startups i could have done people are willing to fund where it made far more money easier but challenge is not there somebody needs to take up the tough task right not just me who's going to build your rockets your launch vehicles who's going to build your mri machines it's much easier to do a quant startup and make money than to do a startup doing an mri machine yeah but the quant guy gets a heart attack or something whose mri machine is he going to <laughs> go to to get himself fixed right so we we have misplaced priorities in this uh, country where we are not investing enough in deep tech deep tech is the foundation of society without that uh, you, you got a hollow society without a scientific base nothing and the processes i build are literally everywhere right without a processor you can't have you can't have computing can you imagine 1.4 billion people are dependent on the external world to supply us computing today we are completely utterly helpless that that sad state of affairs cannot be allowed to remain it's disgusting 
I'm surprised we have, <laughs> we have not tackled this problem before. A civilizational entity of 1.4 billion has to be self-sufficient. Or it, it can't be a stable society. I mean, we had the Green Revolution to make sure that we grew our own food. We need a silical revolution so that we can feed our computing needs ourselves. It's a, it's a, it's a basic need like satisfying your hunger. For me, this is an elemental need for India. For us to be a stable society, we need to serve our own computing needs. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Arkali. Thank you for listening.